innovation will be much, much better when we can have a more diverse workforce, particularly in both the engineering as well as in the leadership community. Um, we heard earlier that in the last 20 years, today's No Ceilings report reflects that we have made progress in primary education. We've even made progress in universities. However, we still have a long ways to go in engineering and corporate leadership, and we can and should close this gap. That is the voice of the world's highest paid CEO, and she'll be joining us on today's Super U podcast. We choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome to today's Super You Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Quammen. Most of you know me as Equal Man. I'm sure, like most of you out there, you're just like me, that there's some part that's missing, and most likely that part or that thing revolves around a chip. For example, my air conditioning went out in Austin this summer in my car, and it's been during July. It didn't rain. It has an average of 103.89 degrees, and so you can imagine that you want air conditioning in your car. It's a simple part, but they're missing that chip because there's a chip shortage around the world. So today's guest, today's person that we're going to go get some information from, get some insight from, is the world's highest paid CEO. That's right. It's AMD's Lisa Sue. Now, a little bit about Lisa before we get into her insights. She was born in Taiwan in November of 1969, and she immigrated with her family to the U.S. at the age of three. Her status as an immigrant and woman who graduated from Bronx High School and then went on to get degrees from electrical engineering at MIT, including a PhD at MIT. So Sue is the first woman ever to top the Associated Press annual survey of CEO compensation. Her 2019 pay package was valued at just close to $60 million. As such, Fortune Magazine has called her one of the world's greatest leaders. The United States secret sauce has always been and probably always will be immigration. It's our secret sauce as a country. And now what's happening is... Obviously, a lot of people come, they think that the institutions, right or wrong, they think that the U.S. educational institutions are the best in the world. And so they come from all over the world to have that opportunity to learn. They learn, and most of them want to start their companies in the United States, but recently, what do we do? We don't allow them to do that, which is really unwise, because again, that is our superpower. That's why we're the number one superpower in the world, is really built on immigration in this melting pot, the melting pot that is America. Now, the good news is, even though it's harder, it's harder to do, the American dream still exists because first roughly 56 of the Fortune 500 CEOs, which is around 11%, are immigrants. Um, According to our analysis, they come from 28 different countries. India has given us the most chief executive officers, a total of 10 in the current class of 500 Fortune 500 companies, and followed not so closely by Italy at four, the UK at three, Taiwan at three, Argentina at three, and Brazil at three. Now, when it comes to industry, 41% of immigrant CEOs lead manufacturing companies, 18% lead telecom IT companies, 9% are in retail, and 5% work in financial services. But it's also worth noting that this group 
includes some of the most high-profile chief executives in the Fortune 500. You've got Saffir Katz. We've done a podcast with her, so check it out, Saffir Katz. The CEO of Oracle, she hails from Israel. Though I joined Oracle 21 years ago, I was brought, you know, I came in to do what we thought, what Larry Ellison thought was a digital, no, he thought it was an IT transformation of Oracle. He thought it was a big, giant IT project where we would bring together our systems. What we very soon realized is that it was, in fact, our first digital transformation. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, Adobe CEO, IBM CEO, and even Uber's CEO, who hails from Iran. And Tesla, of course, CEO Elon Musk is originally from South Africa. And of course, Lisa Su from Taiwan, who's the CEO of AMD, which stands for Advanced Micro Devices. Now, before we get into Lisa's insights and tips, I want to give a little background on chips because most of us might not be as familiar with chips, but we know they're impacting our life each and every day. So a chip or semiconductor is definitely a crucial component that it powers a whole host of electronic items, right from a smartphone into automobiles, as I mentioned, my car with the AC to washing machines, refrigerators, and even electric toothbrushes in your home. Um, so their demand has far exceeded the supply even before the pandemic. Induced lockdowns forced the chip making facilities across the world to shut down. Most of them are fabricated fabricated, meaning they're built. They might be designed elsewhere, but the chips are actually made in Taiwan. As more and more people started to work from home, the increased demand for electronics inundated the supply chain. So you can imagine the manufacturers then struggled to create enough chips to meet the rising demand, which created a backlog and it began to form and it continues to build to this day. Now, when the ports closed down, sometimes for a month, that was an additional strain, an additional factor. When there's ships sitting off the coast of California, Heck, I know I had in one of those ships that we had our, our game Kitty Corn, our board game Kitty Corn. So feel free to check that out. But it sat in a ship off the coast of California for three months. And on that ship were other microchips. So even after the ports reopened, the problem continued as many parts of the transportation supply chain don't have the capacity to handle congestion in those ports. So according to research, research from from one financial group, the lead time, the gap between the ordering and delivering of semiconductors increased, get this, from four days. So it went from four days to 23 weeks. That's crazy. Now this gap is the highest since the firm began tracking data back in 2017. So why does it persist? Why does this supply chain issue continue to persist because even in the face of high demand manufacturing can't be amped up on short notice as it is difficult and time consuming to set up chip foundries in the industry they call them fabs fabricators companies like intel samsung and taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company have all announced new chip fabrication plants over the past few months i know they're putting a huge one here in austin samsung's putting a giant one here in austin but they've announced this in the past few months but these take years to build 
These fabs take years to build. Uh, so this can make the shortage last longer as these companies are likely to place more orders and hold on to more inventory. So now these chip fabrication plants are expensive to set up and involve a lot of risks. Now, according to the Indian Express, India has tried setting up chip manufacturing units in the past, but it never took off due to a lack of long-term vision and government incentives and poor planning. Because you might be thinking, why don't we have these plants, these fabs in India? Uh, the government now wants to boost chip production in India and has suggested tax breaks for those who set up semiconductor fabs in the country. So stay tuned. As I said, they're putting a huge plant here from Samsung in Austin. So hopefully, fingers crossed that we can get these chips that are essential for all these products that we use on a day-to-day basis. Now, Lisa Sue, the CEO of AMD, she's going to give us some good insights starting right now. Now, Lisa, AMD has a successful track record of innovation under your leadership. Now, can you walk us through how you balance innovation without getting too far ahead of your customers? Meaning we always say you want to be a year ahead of your competition, but never a year ahead of your customer, never a year ahead of your market. I will say uh, there are a couple of you know very key themes and you know they should sound familiar, but I want to make sure that we get them very clear. Um, first and foremost, we are a product company. Okay, I want to build great products. I want us to build great products. And these are, again, these are products that use all of our innovation, use all of our technology, use all of our leading edge IP, you know, also combine our system and software and platform knowledge and combine our, you know, key customer relationships. And that is really who we are. You know, we're best when we're the innovators and I want to make sure that that's always our highest priority and we never forget that. So that's number one. Um, the second point is, you know, I'm very, very passionate about customers. And, you know, why are customers so, so important? When you think about what's happening in the market these days, I mean, the market is changing incredibly fast. Um, one of the statistics I like the most is, you know, people say by 2020, there are going to be 50 billion devices that are connected in this world. 50 billion. We want to be in as many of those devices as we can. And that means creating deep partnerships. That means taking all of AMD's technology and assets and people and helping solve those deep customer problems. So very, very focused on customers and partnerships. And then the third point is something that um, is very near and dear to my heart. And you've probably heard me say it as COO. Um, I want us to be simpler and faster. Um, we have incredibly smart people. They're very, very talented. They know what needs to be done. We as a leadership, you know, me personally, the entire AET, the rest of the leadership team, our goal is to empower those people to innovate and get things done simply, fast, decisively. So those are my three things. And they may not sound incredibly new, but I think we'll bring a different spin to it in terms of um, how focused we are and how agile we are in attacking those, those key things. Now, ironically, my book on focus and innovation go hand in hand. So failure is part of innovation, or I like to call it being flossom. But in the chip industry, failures can be three to five years with heavy investments. And let's be honest, investors don't like this. How do you remain focused and what are your thoughts around failure? Well, you know, it's the idea that you can, you, you can make something, you can build products, you can put it on a shelf and somebody will buy it and will know that it's yours. And uh, the key for us um, was really, you know, it's, a, it's an industry where you have to make bets over the long term. So um, the bets sometimes take three years to pay off, sometimes take five years to pay mm -hmm. off. And uh, Wall Street is um, 
uh, very fickle and hard to, uh, hard to keep the attention span. But I think we, we really focused. We decided, mm -hmm. hey, we were going to focus on great products. And um, it was going to take us three years to get the next products out. And we had to be very, very clear on what we were not going to do, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, you know, sort of change our strategy. Extreme communication. Mm -hmm. Extreme communication in terms of, um, I think, uh, you know, this morning was discussed, like you, you say something like 75 times and then you have to say it like another 75. Um, but it was very much around, uh, we are about our products, we are about our customers, and we are about simplifying everything that we do mm -hmm. so, that, um, you know, so that everyone in the company is clear on what our strategy is. Now, clear messaging certainly helps maintain your team's focus. With this focus, you've been able to turn around a company as you admit that there were times when AMD wasn't producing great products. Like you readily admitted that AMD wasn't producing great products. Kind of almost analogous to Domino's when they told us that, hey, our pizza's not very good, we're working on it. Now, how do you adjust this change and get AMD refocused on its strengths? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm an engineer by training. So, you know, grew up in the semiconductor industry from the, the R&D side. And one of the things about our business is uh, you have to s decide what you want to do like five years in advance, right? So whether it's you know, what markets, what products, what technology, and, and actually you have to make choices about those technologies. And so, you know, with AMD, I mean, look, um, I love the company. Uh, I, I, I say this, I'll say this, you know, with all, um, uh, you know, honesty, it's, it's my dream job to, to be, um, you know, the head of a, a large semiconductor company. And... Uh, there was a time when, you know, we weren't putting out products like you should. And at the end of the day, you know, tech companies are about products. So you have to put out great products. And so uh, we have, uh, you know, over the past uh, six or seven years, um, you know, we've really focused on what we're good at, which is, you know, I always believed that computing would become extremely important. Sort of, you know, if you think about what would drive a society, it's, uh, it's high-performance computing. And so that's where we put you know, the eggs in those baskets. There were things that we didn't do. You know, we're not in phones. As, as, as much as everyone has their phone, we're not in phones, and that's okay, because that's not our specialty. Um, you know, we did make some choices, you know, not, uh, not doing our own manufacturing, really focused on design. The, the truth is that um, for, for the size of company that we were, we needed to focus on where we could be the absolute best. And uh, scale is important. In, um, in manufacturing, and um, you know, we just didn't think we could be the best at that. So we wanted to partner uh, with um, you know others who could be very you know very good partners and focus on where we could be the best, which is in you know semiconductor design and advanced uh, technology. Now, before this Q and A, we went over a little bit in the precursor to this, just the pandemic hitting the industry very hard, the chip industry very hard. So the pandemic hit your industry hard, creating a global chip crisis. Now, I know personally, I don't have a fridge or an AC. I don't have a fridge in my house right now because of this chip crisis. And I told the listeners that my AC in my car is broken. I need this chip to fix it. I think if there's one lesson for us all to learn about the pandemic is you have to think about the long term and you have to think about sort of the various contingencies that are required because all of these things that we never expected to happen have happened. <laughs> and, um, and so it is a mindset shift, uh, but I think people are very open to it. I think, you know, uh, like the collaboration that I see across the industry, like when we talk about supply chain, right, we have had um, the deepest conversations with our partners. They're all great uh, because 
you got to solve this together, right? There's no one company that's going to be able to do this, you know, all by themselves. Diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI. You are a female immigrant CEO, which is somewhat rare. What's your approach to DEI? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think diversity is always top of mind uh, for me. I think even more so for, um, you know, for us in, in today's world. Um, there are not enough women in tech. I mean, <laughs> state the obvious. Uh, but it is getting better from the standpoint that I think there's more conversation about it. And, you know, my philosophy has always been to work on things that I can impact. And so, um, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, sort of more, you know, women into the pipeline, trying to, to get, give people more opportunity, you know, as they come into engineering. You know, the one thing I like to say about engineering is like, you know, one of the reasons that I love it is it's very black and white, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, either, you know, the product works or it doesn't work. Um, you know, you don't have to kind of, you know, sell it much um, <laughs> uh, otherwise. And I think that's a very positive thing. So, you know, tr just trying to get more opportunities for, you know, for women and, and, um, and, uh, and sort of underrepresented minorities to see how you, how you can make an impact. Now, as a tech leader, you've been quoted, I believe this, you've been quoted as saying that one of the most important things you can do is be a lifelong learner. Do you mind walking us through this? Well, I, I think um, I think it's, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think foresight is what we're trying to get to. And, uh, you know, the technology capability is there to do amazing things. I think we as, you know, leaders... Um, you know, need to ensure that what it's doing is great, good things and not great, you know, not so good things. But honestly, Kara, I would say that it, it you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty on these things. And I think we're learning along the way, right? So this whole conversation of what is good AI, I think we're all learning along the way. And I like to believe that one of the most important thing for us as tech leaders is continue to learn. And that doesn't mean you make every decision correctly, but it means that when you see that something needs to be course corrected, you actually course correct. As you may know, the listeners know I have two daughters. What's the words of advice for our female audience or our listeners with daughters? You know, 5% women leading Fortune 500 companies in 20 years. That's, wow. I'm truly amazed um, by that number. Um, I can say that is definitely progress, right? We're engineers, so we like to see progress, but I can also say we have so much more opportunity. And you know, just to tell you a little bit about my story, you know, I was born in Taiwan, and I emigrated to the United States when I was two with my parents. And um, I wish I had Debbie Sterling's toys when I was growing up. Um, but I became an engineer because I really like to build things, and I know that you share that as well. Um, engineering is one of those great professions because it is kind of very black and white. Either the product works or it doesn't work, and you can see the product of that labor. Um, I love building products and bringing teams together, and you know, through that and a lot of support and membership, um, I came along the way. Five months ago, I became the CEO of AMD. As CEO of AMD, I'm leading a company with a 45-year-old heritage of bringing leading technology into the industry. I really do believe, though, and I know you share this, over the next 10 years, we're going to see tremendous innovation in technology, which will change the way our daily lives, just like social media and smartphones change the way we live today. And what you really realize about innovation is it really only happens when you bring people together with different backgrounds and different experiences who can really solve problems together. Innovation will be much, much better when we can have a more diverse workforce, particularly in both the engineering as well as in the leadership community. 
Um, we heard earlier that in the last 20 years, today's No Ceilings report reflects that we have made progress in primary education. We've even made progress in universities. However, we still have a long ways to go in engineering and corporate leadership, and we can and should close this gap. So when I look at it, I say what's good for innovation is also good for business. So how can we do this? It really starts with doing it together. You know, fostering an environment like an entrepreneurship where women can grow and flourish. And when we see more men and women CEOs talking actively about promoting diversity and gender equality, we know that this can change. So my hope for the next 20 years from now, we won't be talking about how many women CEOs are in the Fortune 500, because it won't matter. It will be natural for corporate leadership to reflect the most talented individuals. That's a great one to wrap things up with. As I always say, companies can't afford racism or sexism. Our most talented individuals, as you know, that's 70% of Vala Victorians are female. The future is female and the future is now. I hope you enjoyed these tips from the highest paid, the highest compensated, and rightfully so, CEO in the world, Lisa Sue, AMD's CEO. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Super U Podcast. I am your host, Eric Qualman. Most of you know me as Equal Man. This show is produced by Maritza Gutierrez, Jake Brin, and also Kelsey Gomez. A huge thanks to you, the listener, that make this all possible because this podcast is built for you. It's designed to help unlock and unleash that superpower that's within all of us. It's about having that courage to wear the cape. So again, thank you for tuning in to the Super You Podcast. And until next time, this is Equal Man reminding all of us, it's not what we take from the world, it is what we leave behind. Seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 super you.